Welcome to Fandom and Wellness, a podcast about the complex relationship between fandom and mental health. Disclaimer, we are not psychiatrists or psychologists. We are just fangirls with a vested interest in mental health. I'm Arkita, and today we're joined by two special guests, Elena and Betty. Hello! Hello! Uh, yes, so hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm Elena Scortrito. I am the owner of The Colorful Geek, and we sell uh, nerdy t-shirts and pins and lots of fun little things. And I'm Betty Rhodes. I am a uh, just a big fangirl and geek and uh, occasional booth babe for The Colorful Geek, hopefully again soon. When conventions come back, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, is this going to be the year without conventions? So it'd be so sad. Oh. I, I, yeah, I just, I have to pray they come back. It's really been quite awful for me. Whenever we have guests on, we like to ask what their pronouns are. I go by she, her, hers. What are yours? Same. She, her. Yeah. Yep. She, her, hers for me as well. So let's get into this. So this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Schitt's Creek, which I got onto very late in the game. Thankfully, I got on because Elena suggested it to me several times before I finally was like, okay, I'm going to watch it. But thoughts, what you guys both obviously love the show, otherwise they wouldn't (laughs) have you on. So what are you, who are your favorite characters on the show? Okay, so this is a hard one for me because I do love all the roses so very much um i'm drawn to david the most i would think but i mean moira oh my god moira (laughs) i mean she's just she's an entity all on her own uh i don't even know if it's fair to put her in a category with everybody else but um i would say i would say overall david is usually my favorite for me it's alexis for sure um i think There is just something about her, even in the beginning when she was at her most awful, um, there's just something so charming and um, warm about her. And even when she's being ridiculous, um, I feel like I could always see that sort of really loving, um, you know, very, again, just like really warm and sweet. And uh, I just, I love her. And I just, I love her arc too. I love her growth. Yes, definitely. Yeah, same. I would also say Alexis is my favorite. She, I feel like a lot of the characters have grown a lot, but I feel as though she's grown the most as a person throughout the entire series. I would agree. Yes, for sure. Getting to the end of the, because I just watched all of the last season, all of yesterday. I was like getting to the end. I was like, oh, my gosh, I love Alexis so much. (laughs) Um, She, especially in the last season, would say has the most growth. 100%. I want to jump back into like the overarching of the show, because overall, it's really comedy, but it's not afraid to like dive into family dynamics and get sentimental at times. I've definitely cried watching a couple episodes of the show just because it gets so emotional. Um, I think it's as a family, they've learned that they have to rely on each other a lot and grow together because the financial situation that they were in before, which allowed them to kind of just throw money at their problems and solve everything, they can't do that anymore. So what are some aspects of their family life that you see as very important that helped drive the show? For me, 
I think it would be, I, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of hard to just put into like, like a word or anything, but they're so at the beginning, they're so apart from each other, except for, you know, Moira and Johnny, you know, they have a very strong relationship, but the kids are just not really part of their lives at all. You know, especially Alexis, they have no idea what she's doing. She's off at, you know, some embassy or sultan's palace or whatever. (laughs) Um, They really know nothing about each other's lives. And that was the like such a wonderful thing about the show, watching how they belonged to each other again, how they care about each other and they don't even like to be apart by the end. They're like they become a stable family unit. Um, Moira, when Alexis is sick, I think that's towards the end of the first season or the beginning of the second. Moira, who never had any maternal instincts whatsoever, like blows off her jazz gals um, practice and and tries to take care of her, even though it's all like just gone so horribly wrong and she has no idea what to do. But just just little in little moments like that, like them being there for each other and uh, listening to each other and not they're all so selfish in their own little ways. And then they become like selfless with each other is a wonderful thing to see. I think for me, um, the the thing that really stuck out throughout the show, even in the beginning when they are much more sort of disconnected, something that I uh, have in my family as well, which is that sort of ability to like pick at exactly what each other's, weak points are like, you know, how to push those buttons. (laughs) And, you know, maybe in the beginning, it's done a little bit more, you know, as a way to kind of be negative. But you see, as the show goes on, they can still do that to each other. But it's done with so much more love and care, I guess you could say, Um, you know, that's something that I experience in my family a lot. We're, we're a small tight knit family and we know how to like get right at, you know, somebody's most, you know, biggest annoyance or biggest pet peeve. And so we know how to, you know, get right under each other's skin, but usually it's done in a, in a loving way or, you know, at least with some kind of, some kind of care to it. Uh, and it and it just shows as the show goes on, like how they're paying so much more attention to each other and like what the little details are in their lives that that really make them click. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, it's like the little thing with uh, Alexis, how she was always, you know, 12 years old off, you know, jet setting around the world by herself. <laughs> and then she's what, like 27 years old. And Johnny wants to know exactly where she is at all times. And just like, <laughs> little things like that they, where they didn't care before. And now they just they want they enjoy being part of each other's lives. Yeah. And I think to that point, it's like, like you were saying, Betty, at the beginning, they would point or like push those buttons in a negative way. But towards the ends of the series, going into the finale, they push those buttons. But I think what they're trying to do is more get to the root of the problem as to why they're feeling that way. And it's really hard when your family member is pointing at the thing that you're most uncomfortable about or most insecure about and they're trying to get to the root of that problem and you're just like this isn't really something I want to have to talk about or deal with right now but their family and that's kind of their purpose is to help you overcome those things yeah exactly yeah yeah so I think 
That's really cool. And also, David, because, yeah, Alexis was always off doing all these things, but David was really the one that had to help her throughout everything because it'd be like, I was one that had to get your passport and write all these letters, and she was always worried about her. And now it's like David is still worried about her, but he realizes now that she's grown and matured so much that he does not have to worry quite as much. Yeah. Just a little tiny aside, uh, that's in the, the driver's license episode, when, he, uh, when he's telling her about all that, how he worried, um, and she turns away, and she's got that little smile on her face, like she was happy that he was worrying about her. I don't know. I, every time I see that, it it gets me. Fun note, I still don't have a driver's license, <laughs> and I'm going to be 30 soon. <laughs> Oh, my God. But you grew up here, right? Yeah, I grew up in New York City. I grew up in Brooklyn. So, like, I've never been behind the wheel of a car. And the last time I got behind the wheel of anything, I crashed it twice. So, So I'm like a true New Yorker, for sure. Yeah. So, like, (laughs) like me not knowing how to drive and, for instance, the Roses not having a car and having to, like, rely a lot on Roland and the other townspeople. How do you feel like they have, how do you feel like they've interacted with the, all, all the other townspeople? Because a lot of the problems not only come from what's in the Rose family, but also their day-to-day lives with everybody else in the town that they purchased. It's so, it, the, I mean, the first season is just the funniest because they're so removed from them. But yeah, you're right. I mean, just having to drive places forces usually Johnny to go and talk to Roland and kind of have to, I don't know, compromise and, and, um, and do things for Roland or whoever, uh, just, just for the fact of going places, you know, like when he's got to go to Elmdale to get, uh, his unemployment, you know, and he doesn't want to tell him what he's doing or whatever, but he, he has to rely on someone bringing him places. And usually he's, in the family, he's the head of the family. Everybody relies on him. And suddenly that's taken away and they have to rely on others. Something they've never really kind of had to do before. I always found like that was really funny, though, because, you know, they relied, for instance, so heavily on their accountant or their like financial manager. They relied so heavily on him that, you know, they allowed him to make off with all of their money. So I think to a certain extent, like they were sort of used to that affluent, um, uh, I don't experience this, so I don't totally understand what it is. But, you know, that thing where everybody does things for you, you have an executive assistant or you have, you know, a, a cleaning person or a, you know, scheduler or whatever. So I think I think they definitely were used to like having sort of the like more mundane parts of life. Um taken care of for them and so they show up to this place and they're like helpless to figure out how to make those same things happen and I think what's really cool is that you know in the beginning the other townspeople you know you could see that like they really wanted to make fun but at the same time they were kind of you know, intrigued by having these, you know, rich and, you know, for Moira, you know, famous people in their orbit. But I never felt like, and and I think this also is reflected when we start talking about David and Patrick and sort of the way the community feels about them. You know, I never felt like the townspeople were, you know, picking at the roses in a super hurtful way. 
you know, they were kind of, you know, kind of like a fishbowl, like, ooh, what are these people like? Because they come from this whole different, you know, way of life than we do. But it wasn't ever in like a hurtful or, you know, really derogatory way. Um, and I feel like that was so wonderful. And and everybody was was welcoming. Yeah, there was some good natured, you know, ribbing or whatever. But I think that's part of what makes the show so special is that this town, this community is made up of all these people that truly care about each other. And that happens very quickly with the roses. It doesn't happen as quickly for the roses. In other words, they don't warm to it as quickly. I agree. I feel like so many times whenever you see a film like that or even a TV show like that, where it's somebody of like an opposite financial standing going into a new community, they're always kind of like left out or picked on or bullied, like of all the things under that genre. And in this show, they've kind of created this weird utopian type society, which it's, it's not exactly utopia, but the way that everyone interacts with each other, it's never purposely hurtful or negative and I think that's what we all enjoyed so much about the show was because as hilarious as it could be it was also very wholesome yeah mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. to like Jocelyn's shit it's like a utopia not that it's a utopia she says to Moira in like the the barbecue or was it the luau episode that they had in the first season where she didn't think that Moira would want would want to come because you know it's not like they're kind of people. But when she, when Moira says she's from a town like that and Jocelyn's like, why would you ever leave? Because jo- to, to, to Jocelyn, it kind of is like the perfect world. So it was perfect for her. Yeah. I think you look at the town and almost everyone is very happy. Like everyone is content with their lives. I mean, there are a few hiccups throughout the series, but like everyone really likes each other. Nobody really is ever in a huge argument with each other. They all get along and they all know how to be civil with each other. And I think that's what I don't, me growing up in New York city, I feel like that would be like the ideal small town. But when I think of small towns, that's not what I see Mm -hmm. when Sorry, I'm thinking about all this and also thinking of the small, some of the small towns with COVID-19. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm from a very small town. Not as small as Schitt's Creek, but I am from a yeah, small yeah. town. It's no Schitt's Creek. I mean, like, it's not as loving or inclusive or anything as. But there is no there is no place like Schitt's Creek, though. You know, no, it's, no. it's so unique. I mean, Brooklyn, kind <laughs> of, some parts of it. Yeah. Just because you're from a small town doesn't mean that this. that small town is going to be small minded and like to your point of inclusivity you get to see David and Patrick's relationship really blossom and like come to fruition and they end up getting married sorry spoilers if you haven't watched the last (laughs) season yet I hope you've already watched it before you listen to this but Dan Levi he talks in a lot of interviews how he purposely left homophobia out of the show and I think that's kind of like you watch it and so many of us are already ingrained that whatever you do that is different in life or not widely widely accepted is just instantly going to be re- rejected and i think him purposely leaving out homophobia or like all of those small town stereotypes really shined a light on what the future could be for the for every town because we are moving towards a world that's more progressive and inclusive, and it's time to kind of hop 
on board with it because it's going there. You get people are getting on this train with or without you. It's going to leave the station. So yeah. I think that's what's really an important takeaway from the show. Yeah. And yeah, what do you feel about the portrayal of how inclusive and accepted this community is like in the show? I mean, I think it's wonderful. I mean, I am not part of the LGBT community, but I just I think it's wonderful to watch. I mean, it's just people who love each other and family members who are supporting their family. And from what I've read, like I said, uh, I'm I'm straight, but just reading people because I follow Dan Levy. I follow all the Schitt's Creek stuff and, you know, fan groups and just people who come out and say, like, this has helped me come out or we, I, I am gay and I watch this with my family and my parents every week. And it's become like a family unit kind of show. And the fact that being gay is not a punchline, you know, makes such a difference from what I read. And it, it just makes sense. Like, why should it be a punchline? You know, and the more people see this, the more it'll be accepted. And hopefully it'll be the like it'll take I think it'll still take a long time, but it'll be the new normal. And um, and then then there are conservative people who are watching and falling in love with the show who didn't think they could stand watching something like this. And it teaches them to love it more and and to be more accepting and to be more accepting of their children and and society. Uh, we just we need more shows like this. Yeah, I think I think it, it hit on two things for me. I am also straight. Uh, but I, I like to consider myself an ally and I try to learn and, you know, consistently, you know, grow and, you know, seek new sort of insight and information about this, about how to be a better ally. And the two things that stuck out to me are, number one, you know, with you've got David, who is pansexual, you know, which is not something that we talk about a lot uh, in cis circles, but it's a thing that is uh, valid and important. And it's an experience that that we should understand. And then you've got him falling in love with someone who had never had a same sex relationship before. And to me, the, the biggest thing that you see with that is there's no wrong way to be queer. And I think that's a really important message. You know, I think that, you know, even even sometimes in communities where, you know, you're likely to experience judgment, like there can be gatekeeping. And I think it was really important to see that relationship, um, you know, as so sort of, you know, it, it was written in a way that it wasn't like any other character that you'd really seen on television before. And I think the other thing, too, is, Elena, you kind of touched on it, but, you know, not using it as a punchline. But then also, like, when you think about some of the, um, you know, gay characters and couples previously in in television, you know, you look at them through the lens of they're helping some straight person feel more comfortable, right? Like whether it's a parent or a friend or whatever. And it's, it's rare that you get that relationship that's not meant to teach a lesson to someone else so explicitly. It's just, that is a happy, normal couple. The end. Now, of course, they taught a lot of people, uh, particularly in the audience, I hope. But it's, it's nice that it wasn't set up that way. I, I just, when you bringing up the pansexual, it reminded me, or it made me remember, so many of my family members back home, small town in Pennsylvania, um, they're not open-minded at all. Just, I mean, the younger, the older generation, definitely not open-minded. The younger generation, like my cousins and stuff, they are, but they're not as progressive as we are. But they're definitely more open-minded than like our parents. They're all from Sicily, small town, um, uneducated. But when I was home for... 
don't know, I guess it was last year because it's been a while now. But um, I just remember family members because they're all like my cousins and my sister. We're all like within a 10 year age gap. They're all watching the show now. So now they're all asking me questions like what. So what's the difference between bisexual and pansexual and what's this and what's that? So now they're asking me because they know I'm more progressive and more liberal in my thinking. Now they're they're asking questions, which is a good thing about the show, because now people who are more um, closed minded are now more curious and actually want to know what the difference between this and this is. And I think that's a good thing as well. Yeah, to your point about them being curious to say that you don't understand or you don't know why somebody would choose because you really can't choose your sexuality. It is who you are. Like you're not choosing to be gay and you're not choosing to be straight. Just like just understanding the differences and understanding how to be a better ally and just like going from that first step of just asking a question already creates a better society within itself. Agreed. Yeah. So kind of sidestepping away from that, because that was one of the favorite things I did love about the show is that they addressed queerness in a way that it just wasn't a punchline. I mean, there was one point where it was funny where Frank, Stevie and Dan did hook up with the same guy and were like, what? Or David, not Daniel. They hooked up with the same guy. And I was like, oh. Okay, Jake. Love. Yes. <laughs> and then they were like, "Do you want to get some drinks later? Come over for a whiskey." I'm like, "Okay." I was this is- so happy to see Jake come back. I was. <laughs> I, he's, I love it. Jake literally doesn't care about anything. He doesn't I, care. I love him. I kind of. I love Jake. <laughs> I was a little a little jealous that that Jake got to come back, but we didn't get a a, a last appearance of Mutt. That's what I was thinking. I was like, whatever happened to him? Yeah, because like he's my least favorite character, so I didn't really care that much. You know, I I didn't love him as a foil for Alexis, but I would have liked to have seen towards the end. You know, he's Roland and Jocelyn's son. Like yeah. I feel like he needed to <laughs> be involved in the end of this. Uh, from that perspective, yeah. you know, especially since they had the new baby. Yeah, he yeah. came back for sing- the Singles Week episode real quick, and then that was... Well, I guess we know what Mutt's priorities then. <laughs> you know, you I know. completely forgot that he was Roland and Jocelyn's son. It yeah. seems like so out of left field when you find that <laughs> Yeah, where out. Yeah, where's he been hiding? And how was he at that, like, that pine cone place for so long? Where's <laughs> Where is it? What's going on here? Although I only would have been happy for his return if he had the beard back. I was oh. not a fan of, of uh, you know, fresh face Mutt. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of beards at all, but I just, I can't look at Mutt's face without a beard at all. You just, <laughs> it, it needs to be there. It's part of him. It's who he yep. is. Agree. Yeah, yeah. But his baby doll lips are really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so again, I'm sorry. I like that. We got a little sidetracked, but back to the conversation. I know we were stepping away from the conversation of sexuality. Now we're kind of going into this whole working because everybody in the town has a job, but everyone in the town also understands work life, social balance. And it's kind of a different, a different vibe than what you get in reality, where we are told that in order to feel productive, we should be constantly busy. And it's like, being constantly busy or constantly working does not equate to more free time or equate to spending more time doing the things you love. Um, what about, how do you feel about that? Like, I know you run a small business, Elena, the colorful geek. 
how do you feel about like the work-life productivity or work-life balance within the series? Well, they, okay. So in the series, I think it's kind of unrealistic, but I think that's just a TV thing, you know, like in TV shows, unless it's based at the work, it seems like look at friends or how your mother, they're almost never working. So I think it's part of that. Um, but on the other hand, none of them, at least the roses have a real, like for the most part, none of them are really working. Um, later on they do like Johnny with the motel. So then you see Johnny always working because he's at the motel or Alexis is randomly at the the vet's office or, but Twyla is always working. (laughs) She's always working. Um, but yeah, I mean, in real life, it's hard. It's hard to balance that. It always seems very easy in TV shows where, um, they're all just kind of working when they need to be or having fun. Um, but in real life, it's a little more difficult. And I have always been very open with the fact that I have a very hard time managing my time. So I'm often way too busy. I don't see my friends for a long time. And that's something I struggle with and I'm always trying to work on is a better time management um, system in my life. You could kind of see with Johnny, though, like, you know, he seemed to me of all of them to be sort of the most antsy in terms of wanting to get to work. Like, you know, he had been the family. He's probably the one who's always worked the most. Yeah. Well, and has, yeah, measured his success based on his like professional life rather than necessarily his personal life. Mm -hmm. I did kind of find it funny though, because, you know, you expect that from Johnny because he's this, you know, successful chain of video store (laughs) owner. He's a provider. Yeah, but want to take care of the family. But I actually really loved um, I loved looking at uh, David and Patrick's relationship through that work lens when they open the store. And, you know, David is always taking breaks and, you know, going for two hour coffees. And to see Patrick kind of like dig at him for that is just, you know, it was a reminder that, you know, yes, as much as these characters have grown and changed, you know, there's still part of their personalities that are you know fixed in terms of not wanting to uh be nose to the grindstone all the time patrick's a hard worker and uh way more professional and business minded as well (laughs) (laughs) which is what makes their business work so well you've got patrick who is really reliable and knows how to run things he knows the books and david is just kind of a creative mind who has amazing ideas and a great aesthetic and you and it's so balanced perfectly with Patrick and uh his way of thinking do you feel like Alexis sort of gets some of Johnny's work ethic throughout the series like I feel like she definitely picks up on some of that once she figures out what she wants to do you are absolutely right when she gets her business idea and decides when she gets those business cards made and decides she wants to do it she works really hard at it you're absolutely right but when she's working for ted (laughs) (laughs) oh poor ted (laughs) that was earlier on in the series she's grown a lot lot. (laughs) yeah she she grew probably the most out of all of them i mean they all grew a great amount in their own ways But, you know, work-wise, she really did. Yeah. (laughs) I love them. I love them all. Yeah. Like you were saying, um, Betty, that Johnny was really the provider of everything and kind of helped them maintain the lifestyle that he had until his 
their accountant kind of squandered it all away. And you realize that, again, they relied on money for everything. And mm-hmm. towards the end of the series, you kind of you get the understanding that money can't buy happiness. And as somebody who really hates hearing that term because of student loan. <laughs> <laughs> here, here. <laughs> yeah. Watching it, you kind of realize it's like they had all this money in the world. And at the end, Alexis was like, we had one year where we didn't see each other at all. I don't want that to happen again because now they're coming back into this kind of affluent lifestyle. How do you feel that having money and then having it all taken away from them has kind of changed their financial privilege? I think it just taught them to depend on each other. It changes them all for the for the better. I mean, I think all of them would agree that that was uh, the best thing that could have happened. Maybe not Moira. I think she's always been the one that's (laughs) changed. I love her and I think she's grown a lot, but I would say she's the one who stayed the same or she was always striving to get out of the town. But I, I would say they weren't truly happy. I mean, at the end of the day, I think David realized his friends weren't his friends. And like, same thing with like Alexis at the end, it, it made them all happy. You know, they were all happy to be with each other. They were all really sad to leave, you know, it's sad that the parents were leaving everything. Um, it's just kind of a wonderful thing to see. Um, I about lost it in one of the last episodes or two. Alexis says basic, I mean, paraphrasing, but she basically says, I'm kind of glad that we lost the money mm-hmm. and I lost it. Uh, yeah. You know, because like, that's, sort of what you inferred from all of the changes that they made uh, and, and all the ways that they improved. But to hear her actually say it mm-hmm. was just like, wild. That's, is that the first time anyone's ever said it? I think so. Yeah. Well, I think there's that little, is it the, I don't know if it's the Christmas episode where, no, I don't think it's the Christmas, but Johnny and Moira are walking and one of them says something like it, maybe it's a good thing. And then the other one's like, Oh no, I miss, I miss, or did the money make us truly happy? And then I think Maury's like, Oh yeah, yeah, no, I miss the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like they dance around it maybe, but it was just, yeah. it was so like cathartic to hear and to say it. Yeah. She, I would say grew the most. Mm-hmm. She was the one who was always off on someone's yacht or in some embassy waiting for a passport who got a back tattoo that says that's hot in Cantonese when she was 12 years old. She was. (laughs) Do you ever look at everyone's faces when she's saying the things she says? Because Johnny's always like, when did this happen? I don't know my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. He had no idea, but they kind of didn't care. They let them do whatever they wanted. They had nannies taking care of them. They, they lived, their nursery was on a different wing of a house and they just, they just didn't really care. Yeah, I will say like it was always, you know, they changed they all changed a lot, but they all did keep some of the core of their personality. And so it was always really um I thought it was really smart to me, Moira in particular, you know, they would talk about how, you know, they let nannies do this or that or that they didn't see their kids, and she never like expressed regret about that. You know, she was very like comfortable with the kind of mother that she had been. And I found that, you know, kind of made me respect her a little more and like understand her character a little more. I think it would have been disingenuous for her to say, oh, you know, we should have, you know, done these things all along, you know, because I just don't think that's how she really feels. So I liked that 
you know, they kind of kept her as, you know, being okay with the way that they were in their previous life, but still allowed her to grow in Schitt's Creek. Yeah. Hindsight is always going to be 2020 of what if I did this differently or what if I said that differently? And she just kind of has, like, she's probably... I'm sure in, at some point in the series, whether it's expressed or not, she talked about it or like has felt those emotions. But all that she can really do to make sure that she's happy with her family and the lifestyle, the lifestyle that she's has now is to just work on herself in the present instead of like constantly dwell on whatever mistakes she's made in the past because she had nannies and also David kind of stepped into the role as a parent especially when it comes to Alexis and having to be there for her. He's always, he's kind of been the most solid one in the family outside of Johnny that you could rely on when, even when they still had their money. I like that. There's no regrets. Like you were saying, like Moira and Johnny, no regrets. Yeah. Things are, which is, which is fun too, even though they, you know, losing all their money made their family stronger. They still have no regrets of what they were like before. Did anyone like fall out of their seats when they found out that Twyla was a millionaire? Cause I totally did. Oh my I, God. I was shocked. I was like, what, what is yeah. that? What is happening? It's, I mean, it's lovely. It's just really nice that she, I mean, she didn't need to work. I mean, she was always working, but it made her happy to be there. And like what she says to Alexis, if, if she wasn't working, she wouldn't have gotten to know Alexis and hear all her stories, which I that almost made me weepy. <laughs> it's so I don't know. I just I thought it was just a nice little thing to be like she she's set for the rest of her life, but she's doing what makes her happy. Yeah, it um it, it did make me giggle. I mean, I was totally surprised, but then it did make me giggle that like, you know, she wanted to give all this money to Alexis and she like for a second you know, you could see that she really wanted it, but yeah, when she brief, almost couldn't let go of the envelope. <laughs> right. You know, so again, like it's, it's sort of magical and it's just a testament to the writing that these characters still retained enough of their, you know, original quote unquote personalities to really make it realistic. Like you wouldn't believe it if they all came out to be completely different people. So it was just this perfect balance of growth, but also like core of who they were. Um, And it just, it's sort of magic. I I think it's very rare to get characters who are written uh, with that kind of depth and with that kind of love and care. And so it's, I mean, that's part of why we love them. That's, it's part of why they really, you know, really resonated with us so much because they're, they're imperfect, but they're whole. And uh, a little Twyla aside for a second, I do love that she she trusted Alexis to tell her this. Um, I don't know. There's I I I love their friendship. It's just it's really nice. Um, but all like you know when she says you know why didn't you tell us and she said well you just came to the town and you lost all your money like I didn't want to rub it in your face that I had all this money. She's just Twyla is just such an innocent character. I'm not saying she had an innocent life or anything, but she just she loves everybody and she just wants to be around them. And she just, she truly cares about um, everybody and, and just wants the best. Alexis and Twyla, their relationship from the start was very rocky because 
Mutt was with Twyla and Alexis wanted Mutt. And it was. I forgot about that for a second. I forgot about the whole Twyla thing with Mutt. Yeah. And when he left the picture, because he wasn't that great to begin with, Mm -hmm. that's when their kind of friendship blossomed. And throughout the entire series, Alexis has had like a lot of very hard decisions faced. And one of her confidants has been Twyla. And Twyla usually always is like, you know how to make the right decision. You need some time, but she's always been there for her to like talk about her problems and give her the advice that she needs. And I think that's something that we love because, or that I specifically love is that you don't really get to see female friendships in that positive light. It's always some kind of like frenemy situation or like some backstabbing situation or she's my friend, but not really mean girls type thing. And their friendship just was not that at all. Do you, I always feel like, Twilight, you know, on the surface, it looks like they have very little in common. But then when you listen to some of Twyla's stories, they're like the low income version. Yeah. (laughs) They're like Alexis's stories if they didn't have any millionaires in them. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Oh my God. than you think. (laughs) Talking about the mean girl situation, Alexis's former friends are kind of mean girls. You know, they're all backstabbing. And um, is her name Claire when she comes? Um, how she is, how the, she's terrible to the rest of her friends and she treats her friends like crap. That was Alexis's friend group, though, before she came there. Those are the people she hung out with. And now yeah. she's that sweet little Twyla. <laughs> yes, you're right. Oh, my God, I yeah, love it. I would have never thought of it that way as, as Twyla, as the low-income budget version of Alexis. <laughs> I was trying to think of a, like, non-insulting way to say that, but, like, that's what it struck me. I was like, wait, she's got these crazy stories, too. They're just not private jets, you know. It's, yeah. It's a little uh, more down to earth than that. But yeah, they're they're so sweet together. And, you know, I think um, I think Twilight is so sweet with so many of the different characters. Like, I love how she kind of eggs Moira on uh, in a in a lot of ways because she still kind of has that starstruck mm-hmm. like a, approach to her. Um, I don't know. They're all just so special. Yeah. I don't know how that cafe stays in business, though, man. Twyla's Cafe Tropical. Tropical. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to go to that cafe. Oh. I wish it was real. I hope they have a pop-up or something for it. Because I think that would be really cute. Or like oh, a pop-up. That'd be or amazing. Something. But yeah. So like staying with Alexis and her relationships. I was very sad at the end to see her relationship with Ted end. Because he was such a positive influence in her life. But again, he like got this career opportunity that you just can't pass up. And she was also like beginning to start her career as a publicist and it would have made no sense for her to go there. How do you feel like about the relationship ending? It broke my heart. (laughs) Um, Mm. But like, and how at the end they just kept saying they're so proud of each other and they're both where they are because of each other, especially Alexis. Um, It really, now, whenever I watch older episodes, because I am constantly rewatching the show, every time she's with Ted, it breaks my heart a little bit because knowing that they don't end up together, um, I it's just their journeys, their journeys parted ways. I loved them together. I loved Alexis with him. But in reality, that's kind of that's how life is. 
you know, not every relationship stays together and people get opportunities and they have to split up because of it. And I guess they just weren't meant to be together. But um, Alexis will definitely like, I mean, like I said, she's had the most growth in any future relationship. I think she'll be a way better spouse because of it, because of Ted. Yeah. I think also, you know, I always wonder, like, maybe somebody in some fanfic can can explore this. You know, I always wondered, like, do do we feel like Ted would also, like, not have explored this Galapagos opportunity had it not been for, you know, Alexis's influence? I, I like to give her some credit there because I do feel like it would have been super easy for him to, like, stay in in Schitt's Creek and be, you know, one of the two hot vets in town, which, by the way, I thought was hilarious. Um, Michael's vet definitely does not look like that. And I'm very upset about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> our vet does not. Yeah. No, no yeah. we got nothing. Look how strong he looks holding all those puppies. All those puppies. I can't deal with it. I just like, it would have been really easy for him to stay there and be like, you know, big hot fish in the small pond. Um, it's the easy thing to do, but he yeah. really put himself out there and he's following his dream. It's just their dreams took him to two completely different places. Yeah. I, um, I kind of, I mean, I think I don't want to say like, I didn't predict exactly how it happened, but I definitely did not see them finishing the series together. Just be, I think more really because the growth that you saw in Alexis, like you saw her really sort of take off with the PR, uh, with the PR business. And it just, it's just not something you can do from that town. Like I knew that they were going to split up, but when it happened, I did not see it coming, Betty. It still broke me when it happened. I mean, I was a giant snotty mess, but that's just a testament to how special their relationship was. Yeah. Alexis thrives like with with like the bustle of a city, you know, like like in the escape room episode, you know, she yeah, she needs to be around action. She's she's not meant to be in that town. I did, however, love that they like mind the opportunity after she and Ted broke up for the crazy rebound, because that was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) The guy that's older than Johnny, like it's oh, it's Oh, it grossed me out, but it also just made me laugh so hard. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was once again, perfect. It was so yeah. great. And you also see Alexis being vulnerable after Artie does dump her. It was very heartbreaking to watch that after just seeing them break up. Because, again, I've been just all in one day. And I was like, <laughs> like, watching her cry like that really just like, it was like, putting salt in the wound of my heart. And I'm like, she's already been through enough. Just let her like have her fun. But if that didn't happen, would she have chosen to like keep going on? And and once again, Johnny being there for her where oh, he yeah. never has like that before. Even you could see how awkward he's like, uh, you know, kind of patting her down. You could see how awkward he feels, but he stays there. But pre this, she wouldn't have gone to him. I don't think she, she would have had those feelings. Like I think when she breaks up with Mutt, she was upset and she's like, I've never had emotions before, you know, like the town changed. It made them emotional, you know? Um, And Johnny being there for her, it's just something that wouldn't have happened before. I don't think she would have told her parents she was upset. I think she would have just been like, yeah, done the arty binge and just been on her own. Yeah. What are some 
like important takeaways that we can all learn from the Rose family or anyone, any of the characters in Schitt's Creek? Oh, I don't know. Uh, there's just, there's so many like being loving and um, understanding and open to your family. Um, be yourself. Um, I mean, I just, it makes me wish my family was more like them. You know, they're all, they're really there for each other. They learned how to fold in the cheese. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't know what was happening in the episode. I was so confused. They all learned to be where, I don't know exactly how to put it, but they all learned their place in the world. Kind of at the end where like, when you think about it in the beginning, they're just kind of wandering haplessly. Like they're all rich and they're doing whatever they want to do. But by the end, they all have a sense of purpose. And I just think like just being with each other stuck in that motel room for, I think it's what, like three years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it, it like they all learn to love each other. They all learn to be there. They all learn to sacrifice and not be so selfish some more than others, but yeah, I feel like every family could learn from that, you know, just, just being there for each other, you know? I think on the subject of family too, like the biggest thing, uh, you know, that I, I also really appreciated about the show was that family, yes, it's your blood, but it's also the family that you choose. And that is so much Stevie for me. Uh, we have definitely not talked about Stevie enough. Yeah. You, you forget that she's not a member of the Rose family because she has been welcomed so wholeheartedly, you know, first by David, but then, you know, slowly by everybody else to the point where, you know, she is family. Um, I think you would say the same thing about, about Roland and Jocelyn, um, you know, the Jazza gals, Twyla, you know, and I am very fortunate that my I'm very close with my blood family. Uh, we have a small, very tight knit family. But I also count myself very fortunate that I have friends who are family to me. And I think it's really important. You know, not everybody comes from a great blood family situation. And so family is 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 that. Yeah, sure. That's one definition. But there's also the family that you choose that you make a point to make space for them in your life in a significant way. And I loved seeing that with Stevie, with Patrick, with, you know, some of the other sort of. And you could say Roland as well, Roland coming into the motel family. Absolutely. Um, You know, like he, they, they mortgaged, they mortgaged their home. Yeah. Right. That, you know, just to buy into the, to the motel, like they took a chance. Yeah. You know, and with Roland sticking up for Johnny at the meeting in New York, mm. saying that man's a legend. But oh. Stevie, I mean, I think outside the Rose family, she definitely had the most growth. Um, and she wouldn't have had it without the Rose family. Like they changed her as well. Yeah. Again, I think that's that's like more that's like a Ted thing where like it would have been super easy for her to just keep doing what she was doing and not really aspire to do much other than, you know, bare minimum to keep the motel open. And so, you know, they were able to help her to grow. And I think like a lot of times she did it reluctantly. (laughs) She resisted a lot. Um, She's such a strong person, but, um, but I, yeah, I just, to me, she's, she's as close of a member of the Rose family as you can get without having been birthed by Moira directly. Uh 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, she pretty much is at the end. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're all in business together. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. And I feel that Johnny thinks of her as a daughter. And yeah. she just needed to know that she could do all these things because before she just thought she was stuck in this small town and was going to die the same way that like her aunt did who had the motel and that was not the life she wanted. And granted now she is staying in Schitt's Creek to help open up and redo all these motels, but she at least knows she took the chance and has the option to be able to leave as opposed to constantly feeling stuck in this small town. Also, she's going to be traveling and opening up the hotels or the motels. She's going to be overseeing that, which gets her traveling. And like, like she, after she did the cabaret, she wanted, she wanted more. She wanted to see more of the world. I mean, maybe she's not going all around the world like she would have if she was still working at Larry Air. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up Larry Air. Uh, I'm happy that she was, even though she's still going to be in Schitt's Creek, she was still going to be opening up all these motels. So she gets to be out there and meeting new people and, yeah. You know, putting her hair in a ponytail and being more professional. <laughs> uh, She's just being out there. Yeah. She went oh. from having to be asked thrice for towels. <laughs> to that. To, to traveling everywhere. And I just, that made me really happy. And uh, like in the episode where Johnny thinks he's having a heart attack and she was Ugh. the one who kind of took control of that situation. Um, because of how much she cares for Johnny and how much that is her family. The fact that she was happily folding those um, programs for Moira, <laughs> you know, you don't see her complaining, but she's doing that for the Rose family. She didn't have to do that, but yeah, yeah. you don't see her complaining about it like like David and Alexis were. I still can't make it through her cabaret performance without weeping. Same. Okay. Probably not crying as much as you. I know you're more of a weepy person and I'm not a weepy person <laughs> at all. And the second the curtain opens or whatever, and you see her on that stage, I get teary every single time, every single time. Yeah. I don't know how you, how anybody could binge this last season. So my husband and I watched it, you know, one episode a week uh, because we just, you know, couldn't wait. And I was already like, an emotional mess after almost every episode. I cannot imagine binging that last season. Like you'd need, you would need therapy. Uh, <laughs> I feel, I feel like. like I do because I okay. did that yesterday and okay. I like stopped every three episodes to like, Oh, what is happening? Did you watch <laughs> like special? Did you watch the special? I did not watch the special okay. yet. I had to like stop because well, it was just, that like, will make you cry as well. Yeah, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to be like, okay, I'm gonna drink some water. I've cried all the water out of my body. I mean, I watched it right after because on Pop TV, it aired right after. And there were tears almost the entire time. It was just constant, like tears running down. It was so good. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. I think that speaks to the show and just like how much we loved all the characters and how well written it was to see a family dynamic so so well showed and also be comedic at the same time yeah because when you well, see families in comedy it's always like somebody is the punching bag or like somebody is being teared down and we're all tired of it i feel tired of it yeah yeah it's just it's so different and what i mean my theory on what makes the show so special and why it is as good as it is is because it's like a family run show they have really no networks to answer to. Um, 
you know, there, there's not really any product placements. There's nothing that there's it's, but like the fact that Dan Levy had the idea for the show, went to his father, his father started a production company just to produce the show. The writers on the show, Dan is the showrunner and he like approves of all the outfits and everything. And from everything I've seen, he's so meticulous about every little detail. And then he's like, I said, he's one of the writers, but then even down to a little bit of Lexus, you know, um, Andy Murphy's husband and her like wrote the song and recorded it together. Like, so they're all working on the show. His sister's the waitress. And there's another Levy who's one of the producers, like uh, Eugene's brother. So there's four Levies working on the show. Catherine and Eugene have known each other for decades. Yeah. Like, they're all, so it's like, it's like a small run. It's like a small family run business. And yeah. I think, I think it shows in how amazing the show is. I think it's a result of the show being like a small family run business. It's just, it, I think it's what makes it unique from every other TV show you've ever seen. Yeah. What got me watching it in the first place, actually, um, I was out in San Francisco with my sister and she's got small kids and we were exhausted and, you know, it'd been a rough day. And we were like, what is something funny that we could watch? And I've been a fan of Eugene and Catherine in their movies for forever um, and had watched them, you know, do comedy together. So I was like, oh, this will be hilarious. It's Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. Um, and it is hilarious, but um, it was so much deeper and so much more than I think I could have ever anticipated. I'm still really angry. Um, I, I told my parents to watch it. And my father, um, I'm so disappointed that like they watched the first season and they were like, yeah, Huh? I was like, what? What? Dare they? What? what are you? You're not watching it right. You <laughs> must not be watching it right. But I think, you know, maybe maybe they're just not ready for that. But um, it what what I thought was going to be like a very frivolous comedy, you know, time passer turned into be something just incredibly meaningful in my life. And that's, I think, um, you know, Ellen and I are both in this Facebook group for Shits Creek fans. And, I, and we see stories like that. Yeah. People just talking about their family members and how like, oh, you know, my husband passed away. My father died. Like and this show is bringing me joy and it's what I'm watching on repeat and talking mm-hmm. with you guys. It's getting me through this. So it's like it's just it means so much to so many people. I feel like this is going to be a show that ages really well and is timeless and you can keep coming to it over and over and over again. Agreed. Just rewatch the episodes. I don't think it'll ever be dated. It'll never, it'll never be dated. And um, yeah, I, I would say, I would say Schitt's Creek has probably helped our friendship, Betty. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, we met before we watched Schitt's Creek, but I think like there's been so much Schitt's Creek talk between us. I think it like solidified our friendship. I think that's, I think that's the perfect word for it. And I will say like the other fun thing has been, so, you know, Elena makes these amazing Schitt's Creek inspired shirts and pins and, and all kinds of good stuff. And when I'm fortunate enough to uh, work the booth with her, the conversations that we are able to get in with people about this show Mm -hmm. are incredible. Um, and it's it's over 50% of the conversations at yeah. the last few conventions, even Broadway Con, 
it was over 50% of the conversations at my booth. People were screaming like, oh, my God, you've got Shit's Creek merch, you know, and every, everybody loves to talk about it. People talk want about- to talk about this show. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, we've been doing conventions for so long and we've been talking about fandoms, but there's just something different about this one. Everybody is so excited to talk about it. They're so excited to find out that you're a fellow fan. Mm-hmm. It's just a different level of like love and appreciation. Maybe we need a, a Shit's Creek specific con. Wait, they had one. There was. I've there heard was of one, one in Canada it somewhere, one. but. There's only one. It's not like <laughs> a continuous one. And I think there was supposed to be, it's called like Shit Con. And I think there was supposed to be one this year, but obviously canceled. But I was on the Facebook group and it looked, I wasn't sure because the website was a little like, mm, <laughs> but I've heard, I've heard it was a lot of fun. I know what happened. I saw a coworker of a coworker still at my same company and I follow her on Instagram because she's like the cutest outfits and she went to it. I was like, she did. It was very real. Yes. Did you have fun? Yeah. She said she enjoyed it. Next time, if they ever have a shit con, I think we should all go. Yes. 100. As Alexis would say, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So Betty and Elena. Is there, would you like to share your social media so if anyone's listening, they can find you online? I am the colorful geek on everything. I'm on um, Instagram is the one I'm most active, Facebook, Twitter, and the long lost Tumblr that I never look at. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Tumblr. Tumblr. (laughs) But all my Instagram posts automatically go to Tumblr. So there is something there. Uh, But yes, I'm the colorful geek on everything. Well, and I, I don't I don't make or sell anything uh, fun like Elena does, but uh, I have opinions on lots of things. Um, I'm probably the most active on Twitter. I'm at Betty Joan. Uh, really, really unique. Just my name. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm at skincredible underscore adventures. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe, review and rate us. It's the easiest way to help support our podcast. Um, let us know what you enjoyed about this episode in a review on Apple Podcasts or on our Facebook page. If you want to chat with us about this episode, our social medias are Fandom Wellness on Twitter, Fandom and Wellness on Instagram, and Fandom and Wellness on Facebook. You can also find me at Classy Rebel Design, Danielle at Little Petal, and Jenny at Fan Mailbox, all on Instagram. And remember, be kind and take no shit.